The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is the newscast for episode 83 in the week of September 10th. Uh, Rob is off on uh, a, a whirlwind vacation, and so I have a, a special fill-in co-host today, uh, Andre Gata. Welcome, Andre. Thanks for having me, Alex. Hey, everybody. Friends of the show probably know Andre because he sponsors our Slack message of the week, but we have him here in person this week, so uh, extra special stuff. For those that don't know you, Andre, maybe take a minute and introduce yourself and what you do. And Yeah, so uh, hey, everybody. Andre Gata, um, local Denver security guy. I've uh, been working here in Colorado since, uh, wow, 1997. I've uh, nice. been doing the uh, information security risk management thing for about 13 years and uh, have had the opportunity to interact with many of the listeners out there. And it's always a pleasure to come down here and spend some time with you and contribute to the uh, community. Awesome. Well, it's a pleasure having you. Before we get into the show, we've got a couple announcements. First, uh, since I was mentioning the Slack message of the week, we do have a Slack channel. Uh, everyone should check that out and join. There is a link on the website, so go to colorado-security.com and click that link to join the Slack channel. We also have a mailing list also on colorado-security.com. If you want to hear our uh, get notification of our show notes, uh, please sign up for that mailing list. Also, if you would like to receive um, our podcast every week automatically, you should go into your favorite podcast player and subscribe. And if it allows it, from there, I would uh, expect that you rate us, of course, with five stars uh, because we deserve it. And finally, uh, we do have a Patreon campaign going. So if you would like to support the show, we would love to have you join that campaign. Uh, we are raising money to cover the costs that we incur from uh, producing the show. And none of this money goes directly into my pockets or Rob's pockets. It all goes back into the show. Uh, once we get to the point where we are self-sufficient and covering our costs, we will be just doing lots of cool stuff buying t-shirts and other other fun stuff like that. Yeah, I, I, I strongly urge the community to go out there and support the Colorado Equals, uh, Security Equals Colorado um, community, donate, and uh, for this week only, for donations one time, I will match them. Nice, well thank you Andre, appreciate that. So let's jump into the news. Uh, first, there's a story this week about some of the construction going on at Denver International Airport. Um, it's actually kind of fun what they're doing, talking about the conspiracy theories uh, in those ads. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. I love the creativity that DIA is putting into this. Uh, for many of you, you've probably heard some of the rumors about some of the secret things that have been built in and or around DIA. If not, go out to YouTube and, and take a look. There's some phenomenal stories about what's happening or not happening out there. Um, but, but. I think there is a secret tunnel that goes from DIA into the city. I think it, it doesn't go to the city. I think it's a portal to another dimension. Oh, well. They're hiding that in the basement somewhere. Yes, and, and potentially aliens. Not yeah, sure. Maybe aliens. But so if you're at the airport, uh, check out these ads that are, are talking about the construction and what they're doing. Uh, you know, one of them that I saw had a picture of a lizard person. And it's, hey, what are we doing? Are we building new gates? Are we... Um, uh, making a, a new home for the lizard people. Which one is it? So, uh, you know, for, for the fish fans out there, it could be the lizard people. Could be the lizard people. Uh, next, uh, Golden could be the first city in Colorado to lower the minimum voting age to 16. Yeah, I, I can't believe that uh, Boulder let this happen. I know, you know, uh, Boulder having the, the moniker of, you know, potentially the most progressive city in the country. 
Um, but clearly they missed the boat on this one. So Golden is talking about lowering the voting age there to the age of 16. Of course, this just means that people who are 16 in Golden could vote on local issues. So that doesn't mean that uh, 16-year-olds would be able to vote in the presidential or uh, even state races. It's just anything related to, to Golden. Yeah, so, so um, I'll ask the question to you. Is this a good thing? Or a bad thing? Yeah, you know, it, it is an interesting perspective, right? So one of the things that they talk about in the article is that there's research to show uh, if you allow people to start voting earlier, then it becomes a habit and then they vote more often um, later on. So from that perspective, hey, I would love to have more people vote. Um, I think we both know that voter turnout in this country is pretty abysmal in general. So if meaning if we have to lower that voting age to 16 to make that happen, I think that feels okay. On the other hand... Um, I think, you know, looking at myself as a 16 year old, um, I'm not sure that I would have had a grasp of all the issues. Maybe I would have, but, uh, I don't know that I would have necessarily done, had that at 18 either. Uh, fair enough. I, I like the fact that they're getting, uh, younger people involved in community issues at an earlier age. I think it leads to a healthier community and we'll see how it pans out in Golden. I'm, I'm quite certain we'll see other communities quickly adopting this based upon the success they are or maybe potentially are not having. Yeah, for sure. Uh, next story, uh, Colorado Front Range is booming with new tech company leases. This should come as a shock to everybody, right? My um, goodness. <laughs> I hadn't noticed that there are any tech companies in town. Uh, but the story is talking about just how much tech company uh, real estate has grown in the last, basically this is the last year. So between uh, July of 2017 and the end of June 2018, tech companies took on about 850,000 square foot of new office space. Uh, that is a lot of office space. It's a lot of office space, and I, I think it's really exciting. And simultaneously, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit scared. And, and I'll, I'll cover both those things here. Uh, number one, I think it's great companies like Apple, Google, Facebook, Slack, Visa, Kaiser, right? We're getting lots of big companies, lots of tech companies opening operations here. Charles Schwab has a big facility down yep. here. Um, but have, have we, as Colorado, prepared for the implications of this? And, and what I mean by that is from a transportation perspective, from a cost of living perspective, um, you know, there was a perception of Colorado, even when I was moving out here, I mentioned I moved out here in 97. Um, it was sleepy cow town, like, like the secret's out. People are coming, they're here, but what does that mean for things like transit and cost of living? And for younger people who are trying to get started here, right? Like if you look at lessons learned from potentially San Francisco, right? I'm not sure that they've learned any lessons there. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> but I think we could learn the lessons looking at, at what has happened with them. Uh, I definitely agree with you. Uh, I also moved out here in 97 and it is night and day different now between then and today. Some of those things really good, some of those things not as good. Uh, I think that we, we definitely have the opportunity to, to make sure that we are, are doing the right things to handle the population growth uh, so that it, it's, it is not a pain in the ass. So we, we can live affordably so that we don't have to be stuck in traffic for hours at a time, uh, all that sort of thing. So I think we do need to take the time and, and look at that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I encourage all the listeners to go out there and, and get involved in, in any way you can to really be educated um, on the implications of, of these companies opening. I think it's fantastic. It's a great opportunity. It's great for Colorado. 
uh, again, right, just making sure that we're thinking about this sensibly um, so we don't face some of the challenges of other cities that, are, you know, came before us, like uh, Chicago and Boston that are major metropolises that now have horrific traffic issues. Yep. I did see also this week that uh, the city of Denver released their 20-year plan for comment. Um, I didn't look into the details, but uh, it would be interesting to see if they have any any pieces in that plan to make sure that they're keeping up with these kind of trends. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next, the Boulder-born cryptocurrency company Zcash is adding new staff in Denver. So we had Zuko Wilcox, who is the founder of Zcash, uh, as our feature interview, uh, I don't know, probably six months ago now. Um, and they were based in Boulder, and it looks like they are now hiring some people in Denver. Uh, I think it's great. Um, I'm a big fan of blockchain uh, as a protocol to build applications on top of. Uh, I'm not entirely convinced of of cryptocurrency as an asset that that maintains some sort of intrinsic value. Like, a, there's two different things happening there, and I haven't quite landed myself on like, like, is it really valuable as an asset? Right. No, and I hear you too. Um, I think we are still in that the boom phase, people trying to figure stuff out, but that under, underlying technology um, definitely has potential and definitely has room for security professionals to get in there to make sure it gets done right. Yeah, yeah, and what, what they're doing up there in Boulder, um, we talked a little bit about it you know, a few minutes ago, right? From a privacy perspective, I, I really like the fact that there's some value to be able to, to encrypt some of the information about what's happening when you're doing these types of transactions. Exactly. Uh, next, We've had similar stories to this, uh, but there was another story this week about uh, election security and the fact that Colorado is doing pretty well at it. So one of the things in the story I was talking about this week, uh, there was a, an exercise that was held between local uh, government officials and uh, DHS, essentially a, you know, a tabletop kind of exercise to, uh, to go over, um, I believe it was just election security, but I'm not positive. Um, and the, the DHS secretary mentioned the fact that Colorado is, is leading the nation in uh, election security. So congratulations to Rich Schleip over at the Secretary, secretary of State's office on doing a great job of making sure that our voting stays safe. Thank you. Great job. Keep it up. Love the fact that you guys are leading the country. Uh, I think, as we were talking before the show, and while that is great, I think that we can continue to push things even farther. Yeah, there's the look, none of us expected what happened in the last election to happen. Right. And before that, right, per our conversation, it was physical tampering of machines or gaining network access to machines and, and altering it. So now there's a new threat vector that we hadn't thought of, which was, you know, came in the form of fake news and other things. Um, so what are we not thinking of now that's going to show up and be like, oh, wow, yeah, I didn't see that coming. Right. And that's hard to predict. Right. It's the unknown yeah. unknown. Yeah, I'm glad we have people thinking about that stuff. Amen. Uh, next, a story that we talked about a little bit last week, but now it is officially in effect. The new Colorado data security law um, has uh, gone into effect on September 1st, so now we are all subject to it. Uh, there was a story again this week about that. Um, I tagged this one because I thought it was interesting. They were talking to Cole Wist, who again, we also had on the show, had him uh, for an interview. He was one of the co-sponsors of the bill. Uh, it is again mentioned that this is one of the more strict laws uh, for data security at the state level. There were um, you know, a couple tenets of the law, again, that essentially you have to have a security policy, uh, you know, a written program around uh, security. You have to report within 30 days if more than 500 Coloradans are affected. 
and you have to take reasonable steps to protect personal information. Um, so I, I keep seeing the headlines that say, hey, you know, this is, um, you know, it's very forward thinking and it's, it's very strict. And while it is more strict than some of the state regulations, there are plenty of other regulations that are even more strict than this. Yeah. So, so I'll ask you as a, as a longtime practitioner, right? I, I, as a Coloradan, I think it's great. Yep. As a practitioner that's now um, subject to, to this, right? My question to you is blessing or curse? So I think it, it's a little bit of both. So I think for many people, many companies that are already subject to other regulations, this will not be a big deal. Um, it would be you know, sort of worst case scenario, okay, now instead of notifying in 45 days, I now have to be able to notify in 30 days. And while that is a, a, a noticeable difference, um, the harder things like having a security program and things like that, um, if you're already subject to regulations, you're probably gonna have those uh, in place. But now you have a lot of small and medium-sized businesses that maybe weren't subject to that, those regulations before that are now gonna have a big burden to try and uh, comply with this. Additionally, this law applies to public sector as well. So most data breach laws do not apply to the public sector. You know, if the government breaches your data, they don't have to tell you. Um, there's no laws saying that they have to disclose or that they even have to have good cybersecurity. So this is, I know, going to be a big deal for school districts, mm -hmm. uh, for local, state, county governments, um, you know, universities. especially universities. If you're, if you're smaller and you haven't put some of these things in place, it is going to be a big uplift for them as well. And just to put things in context, right, uh, we had talked about this briefly, uh, GDPR has been yep. front and center. Um, so 30 days may seem like a short period of time, but as you said, right, GDPR is... It's 72 hours. 72 yep. hours. So in terms of that window difference, right, I think it seems like a eon if right. you've got 72 yep. hours versus 30 days. Exactly. So I, I think it's a good thing overall. Um, most people that are already um, in compliance with something else are going to have it uh, fairly easy, but I think a lot of people are going to have some short-term suffering to get in compliance. Uh, next, uh, you've heard us talk about the, the past few weeks, the Colorado Cybersecurity Summit, uh, which is being sponsored by Ballard Spar, co-sponsored by Colorado Equals Security. Uh, we have an announcement this week to talk about the panels that are going to happen as part of that event. Uh, this is on September 18th. So there are three panels. Uh, one is called Perspectives from the Enforcers, the New Colorado Cybersecurity Law. Hey, we were just talking about that. Yep. <laughs> uh, so you're going to have some of the folks that are enforcing that law come and talk about it. Panel two, called Outside Our Borders, how new laws will affect businesses. So this is not Colorado laws um, and how they're going to affect us. And panel three, the end of the see no evil approach to vendor management. Uh, vendor management, always a hot topic. So uh, glad to hear there's going to be a panel on that. This again, uh, Ballard Spar is a law firm here. And, uh, you know, this is all sort of legal focused, but uh, with a cybersecurity bent. So if you have uh, an interest in that, I think you should definitely show up. 8 to noon on the 18th, and uh, go check out the event calendar for more information on that. I think it's going to be great. Looking forward to it. So uh, next, uh, Coal Fire had an announcement. They appointed Mark Carney as Executive Vice President of Cybersecurity Services. Uh, we were also just talking, you know, I don't normally think of Coal Fire as, you know, super hardcore technical services, but they definitely have all those kind of services. Uh, but Mark comes from Kadelsky Security, and he'll oversee their cyber risk, cyber engineering, and labs teams. So congratulations, Mark. Congrats, Mark. Uh, next, we have a couple stories from Ping Identity. 
we will still talk about them even though Rob is not here. Um, they're both sort of related to the, the same topic. Uh, first, uh, Ping won an award, so congratulations to them. At the uh, API World 2018, uh, they won Best in API Security. So, congrats. Yeah, I, I think uh, just a side note, um, I, I think Rob is taking this uh, this phishing campaign thing maybe a little too literally based upon his current trip, I think. Right. So, so we'll have to talk to Rob about his, his uh, phishing campaign uh, when he gets back. But uh, again, Ping continues to be a great innovator, um, you know, API security is, is forefront of mind for most practitioners and businesses leveraging APIs horizontally to integrate with other systems and automate things. Um, so hats off to Ping for continuing to innovate you know, quarter after quarter. And the second story is announcing, that, you know, since they just won this award, that now their API security product is, is GA. Um, so basically, uh, as we announced uh, a couple months ago whenever this happened, uh, Ping acquired Elastic Beam, which w did API security, and so now they've integrated this into the Ping platform. Uh, so it was GA before as Elastic Beam, now it is GA as uh, Ping Intelligence for APIs. I, I think it goes that way. You, you win an award, and then you quickly move to GA. Like, right. that, that, that's, exactly. that's fantastic. That is exactly how it should go. Uh, next we have a story from Swimlane. So they made an announcement that their product, which is one of a SOAR product, you know, orchestration and automation, uh, was selected by McAfee uh, to be used in their Advanced Security Operations Center. So basically, uh, McAfee runs its own SOC. I assume that means that they have, um, you know, managed services or something mm -hmm. similar for their SIM products, and Swimlane is going to be a part of that SOC to help do automation. Couldn't be more proud of what Cody uh, and team are doing up there in Louisville. Um, just, you know, congratulations guys, and that's a fantastic win for you. Good stuff. Uh, staying on the security orchestration and automation front, Red Canary had an announcement this week talking about Red Canary Exec, which is their new security automation solution. So it is not quite the same as a swim lane, but basically this is integrated with their um, MDR platform to help you automate it, automate uh, actions and responses as part of their service. I, I, I've talked to a lot of folks around town um, and every single one of them that has interacted with Red Canary uh, has had nothing but glowing things to say about their company, about their technology, about their results. Uh, and again, right, another company here locally in Colorado uh, that is innovating at an exceptional rate and level and changing the, the cybersecurity landscape for the better. Um, super proud of those guys. Yeah, congrats to them. That looks like a really cool solution. Um, and congrats to the people that have their uh, products already because now you're going to get this new uh, new automation capability along with it. Uh, next, we had a, an announcement from Logarithm keeping on, again, on the automation front. So they announced that they have a, an integration with Silence, uh, Silence you know, endpoint protection product. Um, they announced that they have some, uh, some of their smart responses that have been built so that you can help automate actions uh, between Silence and Logarithm. So um, this is, you know, you're pulling data into your Logarithm Sim, got some great dashboards and other things, uh, alert, alarm, uh, alarms, alarms? Alerts. Uh, alerts, alarms, both of those uh, to look at that data, but then also these smart responses that can help you uh, take actions automatically against that data. So some of it is uh, enriching the data, gathering data from Silence on something that is happening, um, but then also having the ability to automatically quarantine files uh, on 
agents that have Silence installed. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So 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 I think the first thing that comes to my mind is, is automation's here to stay. For sure. Absolutely. We are not going to manually work our way out of where we are today. Um, I, I tip my cap to all the uh, technology companies that are looking for ways to integrate with other technologies to provide higher fidelity around the types of information they're getting into their security operations center. Uh, so logarithm, you know, great job, keep it up. And, and for you know, anyone out there who's listening, uh, those integrations are hugely important. Exactly. Uh, so congrats to them, great partnership. Um, also benefits me as I am a customer. So that, I, that's always a positive. I think we could probably dedicate an entire show, and I'm not saying we're going to, uh, to the SOAR category, right? Security oh, sure. operations, orchestrations, yep. response. Um, it, it's an interesting topic. We're, we're going there, like machine learning, um, you know, ML, uh, behavioral analytics, like here we come, right? And automation is a huge part of that. And the question is, how do we do that effectively? I think that's the, an interesting topic for all of us. For sure. Uh, final story this week, uh, Coalfire had a blog talking about exploiting blind Java deserialization with Burp and YSO Serial. So uh, as I mentioned earlier with the, the Mark Carney announcement for Coalfire, um, you know, we've been seeing more and more technical stuff coming out of Coalfire. They've had some great technical blog posts recently, and this is another one. Um, if you are interested in the more technical pieces, if you're interested in uh, Java deserialization, uh, or if you're interested in Burp, go take a look at this blog. Uh, good stuff in there. Uh, some definite examples and good stuff that you can do. So, uh, so that's it for the news. Let's move over to our Slack message of the week. First, I would like to thank Andre Gaeta uh, for sponsoring the Slack message of the week. Thanks, Andre. Uh, you know, for those of you who aren't on the Slack channel, go get on the Slack channel. It is a tremendous resource for threat intelligence, for events, for jobs, for general questions. There's an amazing community of people that are super active that share regularly. So if you're listening to this podcast and you don't have the Slack channel, like hit pause right now, go find a device, go log into Slack or download it, create an account and join. It's fantastic. Yeah, it is great. There's lots and lots of great discussion that happens here. Um, I'd also like to again thank Andre because you know, we don't say it every episode, but the winner for the Slack message of the week gets a, a $25 uh, maximum credit towards our online store. And that comes straight out of Andre's pocket. So he is bankrolling this himself. Uh, there's no company sponsorship. It is the, the Andre Gata sponsorship here. So, um, you know, he is putting out a, a serious amount of money and uh, we really appreciate that, and I know our listeners do too. So well, thanks, Andre. Hey, it's my pleasure, and, and again, I want to thank the community of folks that are out there every day uh, posting and responding to questions in the community. I think one of the best things that we can do and continue to do, and I thank you and Rob for helping sponsor and create that community, is share amongst each other, right? Um, information uh, from our adversaries probably is shared and flows more freely. Uh, amongst practitioners, traditionally speaking, um, as it relates to like what happens to my business is kind of private. And just as a community sharing things like, hey, jobs, or hey, have you looked at this? Or have you heard of that? Or hey, is there an outage? Anyone else seeing this? Um, again, I think it's awesome that we have it. And candidly, I don't know anybody else in the country that has anything like it. It's awesome. Everyone should join. So let's get to the actual Slack message of the week. So we'd like to congratulate Simon Branton Housley. Uh, so he posted this week in the general channel. And his post was, hey, there hasn't been a lot of discussion in here lately, um, which, uh, then spurred some discussion. Um, <laughs> um, and as part of that, um, you know, I made sort of a public service announcement. So we, we have multiple channels um, in our Slack uh, portal. So uh, general is 
obviously just sort of the general channel, but there's lots of other ones. There's a news channel. Uh, there's one for people that are studying for the CISSP. Uh, there's one for uh, security intelligence. Uh, there's one for, um, you know, ISSA and ISACA chapters. There's lots of good stuff in there. So um, that is my public service announcements. If you're on uh, Slack, make sure you join all of the channels or all of the ones that are interested, uh, interesting to you. And uh, congratulations to Simon for uh, pointing out the fact um, sort of inadvertently that there are multiple channels out there. So we will get you in contract, uh, contact with Andre and you will get your uh, Colorado Equal Security merchandise. So let's move over to events. First event on the calendar, InfraGuard is having their identifying, investigating, and interrupting targeted cyber attacks. Uh, this is an instructional course for government employees. That's on September 10th. So if you're a government employee, go ahead and check that out. Yep, and on the 11th and 12th, ISSA Denver, September chapter meetings. Uh, get out and go participate in those. CTA is doing their Insight Series, Blockchain Explained. So if you had no idea what we were talking about earlier when we were talking about blockchain, uh, you can go check this out. That's on the 13th. Yep, and, and right behind that is the Secure Set uh, Career Conversations with Laura Baker. Uh, also on the 14th, uh, Secure Set is doing a beginner's intro to capture the flag, the extended mix. Sounds sounds extended. It does. <laughs> Secure set on the uh, on the 18th is doing an expert series with Chris Roberts. Uh, that should be interesting. Everybody loves hearing Chris Roberts talk. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, Ballard Spar is doing their Colorado Cybersecurity Summit on the 18th. That's eight to noon. You should go check that out. And also on the 18th, Secure set is doing an expert series again with Chris Roberts. Yeah, we got to uh, get that in twice on the 18th. It's so important. Uh, uh, also on the 18th, a very, very busy day, CTA is doing their Colorado Smart Cities Symposium. So if you want to hear about smart cities, go check that out. That sounds cool. So, so essentially, take the 18th off of work right. and, and go hit three conferences in a day. Yeah, That's and if you didn't have enough, um, ISSA Colorado Springs is doing their September meetings on the 18th and the 19th. So you could do stuff up here in Denver, then drive down to Colorado Springs uh, to do the Colorado Springs stuff on the 18th. And we will give a special pin. If someone attends all four of those events, we will have a special pin in honor of attending all those conferences and missing work to get educated on information security. You'll have to do something to prove it, but I would definitely give someone something for that. <laughs> on the 19th, OWASP is doing their uh, September meetings. Uh, also on the 19th, DENSEC is doing their meetup. Um, I believe that they are going to be at Ryan House in Denver, uh, but check Twitter for the latest. Yep, and on the 20th, ISACA, uh, top conversations where suppliers are winning and... Confessions of a software auditor, followed by happy hour. Hey, good stuff. Uh, and our final event for the week, uh, the ISC Squared is doing their September chapter meeting uh, also on the 20th. So lots of stuff going on in the next couple of weeks. I, I'd like to see on the ISACA one if they actually started with the happy hour Ooh. and then led to the confessions. I think it yes. would be a very different type of event. Yes. ISACA happy hour followed by, yeah. Yes. That'd be confessions better. of the auditor, right? Like that would, I would, I would want to show yeah, up for so that, it, right? So early. Rick, Rick Lucy, ISACA chapter president, here, here's your notice. You need to do the happy hour first. <laughs> <laughs> so let's jump over to jobs. Uh, first job on the list. Yeah, so, so this is a great opportunity for me because um, I am hiring at Mimecast uh, a senior account executive to cover the Rocky Mountain region. So if you are in field sales and you are interested in growing, uh, joining a fast-growing company, um, working here in the Rocky Mountain region, please reach out to me. Um, I'll be in the show notes, I suppose, and you yes. can also follow the link from the show notes. Awesome. 
Uh, next, even though Rob isn't here, we do have a couple ping jobs to talk about. Uh, Rob is still hiring a cloud security architect and also a NOC slash SOC manager, which is also listed as an SRE manager. Uh, so they're combining their, their NOC slash SOC along with their site reliability engineering. Yep, and if you're up north, Logrhythm's got a couple of postings for a security engineer and a uh, security analyst. So if you're in that Boulder area or Louisville area or northern Colorado area, Logrhythm's a great company. Yeah, and I think this is working on their internal security team working uh, for James Carter. So that should be cool, uh, protecting security companies. Uh, next, uh, IBM is looking for an intelligence developer. Um, is that kind of like a teacher, someone who's trying to develop intelligence in people? Uh, I, that would be interesting. I don't know. Intelligence developer. Um, I may apply for that just to find out what it is. <laughs> uh, next, uh, platform.sh is also uh, hiring a couple positions. They're looking for a security and compliance engineer and also a DevOps slash SRE uh, specialized in security. Uh, Welldyne RX is looking for a security engineer. And Johnson Controls is looking for an information security operations security engineer. They used the word security twice in there. They did, because they really care about security. Uh, I, twice as much as normal people. Fantastic. Great job, guys. So that gets us to the end of the newscast. Uh, thanks, uh, Andre, for filling in for that. Yeah, thanks for having me, Alex. So we are now going to pitch over to our feature interview. Uh, this week, Rob uh, interviews Brett Settle who is the CEO of ThreadX. So that should be very interesting. ThreadX local security company here. Yeah. Well. So, awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks, thanks, everybody. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Have a great week. This is Chris Abbey, IT security analyst at Douglas County School Districts. This is Colorado Equal Security for Colorado security professionals by Colorado security professionals. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. Uh, we have a feature guest today where I have the founder and CEO from ThreadX, local security company up in, in Louisville. Um, and we're going to get to talk and learn about ThreadX, what they do, and, and how they got where they are. Um, but Brett and I, you, you, Brett, we were just talking uh, a moment ago about your trip to Peru right before you started the company. And it sounds like there's a bit of a story here. So talk to me about Peru. Yeah, I'll give you the short version, I guess. But we, we founded the company in the third quarter or fourth quarter of 2014. And then right before we really went heads down, starting to do the development and, and building out the company, I took the family down to Peru, yeah. which was a, a great trip. And uh, but one of the uh, one of the unfortunate accidents that occurred on the trip was we went to a, a part uh, near Machu Picchu where you know back in the olden uh, times, a lot of the locals they used a portion of the mountain to basically have a slip and slide. And so, you know, being the American that I am. So like a, like a water slide built in. Kind of like a water slide, although you really, it was just for jeans. But, uh, you know, growing up in America, watching things like uh, Christmas Vacation, I got the yeah. bright idea to order the pizza the night before and then use the pizza box. Because if you can go fast down the slip and slide in jeans, then it's got to be great if you're going down it in cardboard, yeah. cardboard, right? Yeah. So long story short, I uh, we went up there. My son was about 12 at the time. And I was like, hey, Ethan. You want to jump on this? And before he jumped on, my wife was like, no, you need to go test it first. <laughs> and so uh, obviously I jumped on it. Short version is, yeah, it went really fast. Maybe not as fast as Chevy Chase, but I completely plowed off the end uh, and down about 20 feet and landed on my foot. Um, broke the calcaneus bone. Which one's that? It's the big meaty uh, bone that's right beneath your heel. Okay. And so uh, I knew it hurt. I assumed that it was broken, didn't quite know. Um, couldn't really get off the mountain, so these lovely uh, Peruvian gentlemen that are all about four foot five carried the big, uh, you know, heavy set 
American, about a mile and a half back to the ambulance. Got me down to the Peruvian hospital there and uh, took me in for x-rays. The lovely gal who spoke no English stood there with me the entire time while the x-rays were going uh, through and they came out and they said, no, we think it's a sprain. Gave me some, uh, gave me some uh, pills that made at least the second half because I was there for two weeks. Wow. And this was day three. Um, made the second half of the, uh, the vacation at least tolerable. And uh, actually hiked all through Machu Picchu on uh, crutches on a broken foot. Got back, long story short was, it actually broke that calcaneus bone in four different places. Ooh. And so, and had already started kind of grafting itself back together. And so, so I spent- Did they re-break it? Yeah, what they ended up doing was re-breaking it. And then yeah. I spent uh, nine months in a boot. And as you can imagine, it's right when you're starting the company. So yeah. uh, at beginning of 2015, I was doing a lot of angel fundraising so that's when you want to be high energy. You yeah, want to be, I tell you, so it was, uh, it was quite the journey. But, you know, I think it adds character. It certainly, uh, it, and it probably gave me some sympathy boats with a handful of the angels <laughs> and certainly showed that we had uh, kind of the, the grit and the fortitude mm. uh, to plow, to, um, plow through uh, almost anything uh, to get the company up and running. So what was the best part about Peru? Um, I think the people were great. And uh, again, I only saw the first three days. I can't tell you that much about what happened the second two weeks. You because were just too stoned on these drugs. Pretty much. And then once I ran out of pills, the pain was starting to get pretty bad. But, you know, I love the uh, terrain, obviously coming from Colorado. You know, there's some similarities, but certainly mm. the Andes are just, you know, phenomenal. And then just the people that we bumped into down there and kind of getting, uh, kind of see just the range, you know, from the poverty all the way up through the ultra wealthy. Really? Yeah, just, you know, just a lot of interest, but then also kind of getting to know some of the people yeah. uh, that, you, that you met, which is a, a great experience. Why, why did you guys pick Peru? You know, we've traveled all over the world, and uh, South America was just one that we had not been to, and Machu Picchu was on the bucket list. Okay. And so we hit Peru, took a couple of weeks down there to uh, see, you know, the country, uh, and hit Machu Picchu for a few days. Yeah, well, very cool. Uh, we got to hear the best and the worst of Peru. I like it. Yeah, well... That's my version anyway. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, anytime you, you break your foot, yeah, that, that'll make a worse list. Yeah, I'd like to go back someday and actually see what it was like, so that'd yeah. be great. All right, well, uh, let's, let's back up even further. Um, you know, wh where are you from? Let's start to begin. Yeah, so I moved around a lot as a kid, but uh, probably the most applicable was I actually was here in Colorado. I uh, got my MBA from DU. Hmm. Um, was actually a mechanical engineering undergrad, and so had been working for uh, both a power plant and also a kind of a major construction company. Got in with the MIS department though when I was at DU because as an engineer I could code. So where'd you get your undergrad? Uh, Illinois. So, Illinois. so what made you come to Denver and go to DU? Um, I'd moved a lot as a kid. Okay. I love Colorado, and I just love the West uh, yeah. in general. So when we, my wife actually graduated. She was getting job offers in New Jersey from Merck and from a lot of other kind of pharmaceutical companies. I wanted to get her some visibility out here, brought her out to a major uh, chemistry convention. Hmm. And with all that was going on with startups in the biotech industry, in yeah. Boulder especially, she landed in one of Larry Gold's uh, companies. Oh, great. Yeah, so it was a good move. But so, it, she, so she got a job and then you're like, well, I got to do something too. Exactly. Right? And so I you know, decided DU was offering a great program, executive MBA uh, type of opportunity. Yeah. Uh, so I was able to take some day classes and some evening classes and get out quick. Oh, great. Um, took the MIS classes because they were fairly easy, allowed me to load up on the schedule. And then through that process, um, they introduced me to a small company um, up in Broomfield, uh, Corporate Express. 
And so I was employee 13 for Corporate Express. Holy smokes. Yeah, so one of the early early guys in, um, you know, early in an IT career. But obviously, as they continued to grow, it allowed me to grow with the company. Um, and ultimately... What, what year was that Corporate Express was that small? 1995. Wow. Yeah, they, yeah. they got big. They got big. They were $8 billion, I guess, when the Staples acquisition uh, took place. Yeah. Obviously, uh, multiple entities above and beyond just the original Corporate Express kind of office supplies business. Yeah. Uh, they had multiple business units um, as well. So. so what were you doing for Corporate Express? So I started off in the technical architecture uh, organization in the beginning and then shifted actually over to application development for a while. Hmm. Um, like you were, are you a coder? Yeah, I, I, guys that were there would probably say no, okay. um, just because I pretty quickly moved into the uh, what you would call an enterprise architecture role in today's um, parlance. So I understood how all the applications kind of work together. They were building, or we were building an ERP, if you will, and sure. really the business model was you know, akin to what Amazon does. There were 365 different third-party vendors delivering to about 150 drop points and 26 distribution centers. And the goal was to take an order that could be deliver, you know, placed as late as 4 p.m. and get it sourced from any number of those third parties, cross-docked on a truck and delivered to them by 8 a.m. the next morning. So there were no ERPs at the time that could handle that kind of yeah. complexity as well as uh, performance and scalability. And, and you were architecting this system? Correct. Wow. So I was uh, primarily in charge of transaction planning and control which was a glorified way of really talking about all the decision engines that did, you know, inventory planning, uh, order management uh, on both the purchase order and the sales order, and then marrying it up for warehouse processing as well. Okay. So. And so, how long did you make it there at Corporate Express? Stayed twelve years. That's so a good run. Uh, it was a great run, just because you know when you start with a company that was fifty million, and it's growing and on its way to eight billion, you see a lot of different sides of the company. Sure. So I got to see the startup phase, through the growth phase, through multiple, actually hundreds of acquisitions, and then ultimately, yeah. you know, pretty large company with a very diversified global uh, portfolio. So. Yeah. So it was very exciting, very new, uh, a lot of cool things going on. But after twelve years, when Staples acquired. Um, Corporate Express, it was a great time for me to jump. Well, so what was your last role there? Was you still architect? Yeah, a... CTO basically um, for okay. the organization. The so, whole thing? Yeah, so I had a responsibility oh, okay. for both what you would call the uh, solutions architecture team, focused a lot on the um, projects and business projects and applications they were deploying, yeah. a program management organization, uh, and then a technical architecture organization. So. Okay. So pretty broad span of control um, as, it, as it related to the various you know key components of what we were designing and building. Primarily a custom dev shop. Now we had a lot of third-party you know tool sets that we were using, various third-party applications, and we were starting to you know look at where the cloud offerings were going and a lot of the um, software as a service type of opportunities. Yeah. But that was just coming on strong uh, in 2007, 2008. 2007, your the iPhone was just coming out. It was, exactly. it was a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, so what did you do next? You left in 2007 after Staples acquisition? Yeah, so 2008 I got recruited down to BMC Software, uh, took a CTO position there, mm -hmm. had responsibility for a lot of the different applications. Uh, it was primarily more internal focused, although I had dotted lot of relationships with the product organization as well. So, so for those who don't know, BMC, what, what's BMC do? So BMC is uh, primarily infrastructure automation uh, solutions. So they built software to help in originally manage uh, mainframes, but then with uh, major acquisitions like Remedy Software and a number of others, they really moved into um, both CMDB yeah. uh, capabilities, but really just the whole ITIL movement 
the products that allow you to really manage that infrastructure and your applications under the covers. They had numerous portfolio products uh, that spanned the full gamut of technologies that you would manage. Yeah. So. And and so your your role there, you said mostly internal focus. What what was the big accomplishments you had there at the? MCI? Yeah, I mean, I think when I arrived, um, and what they really recruited me for was they had a you know sprawling internal application environment that a lot of corporations uh, have, and uh, they were looking for somebody to come in and really put together a you know soup to nuts. Let's uh, refactor this application environment. Let's refactor the products that we're using and selling through this as well. Um, and so my role was to come in and you know kind of run a similar playbook to what I ultimately did at Corporate Express. We established a capital committee. We established a program management office. We had the functions for solution architecture as well as technical architecture. And we began really mapping out their entire you know footprint of all technologies. Mm-hmm. Security was one of uh, the components that were, were under my umbrella but not when I was recruited down there. It actually was a small group that just existed within the IT operations team. Sure, yeah. Um, the transition for security for me really happened when um, the Target and Home Depot breaches were going on and it became mm-hmm. a kind of board level initiative. Yeah, 2013 yep. holiday season and Home Depot like mid, mid 2014, right? Yeah, and so around that point in time, I had a lot of face time with the board because a lot of what we were doing was really talking about their capital management and yeah. the capital expenditures and what the priorities were and what the, you know, obviously the business results that were expected from each of those initiatives. So because I had that, they looked around and said, hey, you're the, the a technical guy, you own security. Hmm. And so by default, I ended up wearing a CISO hat at that point in time. Hmm. So, um, you know, did a quick, what the board asked me to do was do a, you know, quick analysis of what was the current security posture and then make a recommendation back in terms of, you know, what, what we should look at. Yeah. Um, and so we did that, and the ultimate recommendation was, you know, kind of a, a several options that they could pick, but that what they looked for was a best of breed type of solution in terms of technologies. So we deployed everything from a Palo Alto, um, kind of cycled through a lot of the sim solutions like uh, Splunk or like um, ArcSight and Q Radar. Unfortunately, there were acquisitions that took place from competitive companies um, for both of those products. So we ultimately ended back on Splunk. Uh, for our SIM solution. And then uh, in particular for web application, we picked Imperva and Encapsula, yeah. which were the only Magic Quadrant vendor uh, at the time. So rolled those uh, applications out. A couple big things were jumping out at me. I mean, first and foremost, I'd been developing software for you know the better part of 20 years, a lot of sophisticated technologies. As we started looking at really how a lot of those solutions went about uh, you know, evaluating traffic, it was very simplistic. You know, it was really static rules, static signatures, kind of matching, and then making binary decisions based on a small amount of information. Yeah. But with all the data analytics, and when, as you start to look at behavioral analytics, and as you look at just, you know, the market as a whole, there were a lot of more sophisticated technologies that, that could, you know, look at the problem at a more holistic level. SIM technologies are one of those tools, but as we looked at how SIM products uh, worked, they're trying to incorporate data feeds coming from multiple types of security products. Mm-hmm. The complexity, for me at least, in deploying uh, SIM solutions was just the constant dynamic nature of either the APIs were changing, the network was changing, or the applications were changing. So it was a constant you know, uh, evaluation process mm-hmm. of how we were actually doing our correlation and how we were doing the, the management of what the posture was. And even with that, 
typically what I was getting is yesterday's news. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of getting you know an answer to a problem or an answer to something that may have occurred weeks or even months uh, prior. So, so yeah, another common issue that we see across SIMS and WAFs is both have real false positive problems. And mm-hmm. curious, you know, if you you mentioned three different SIMS and you know not that many years, uh, that's that's a lot of yes. that's a, that's very expensive. It's a huge amount of work. And I, did you get value out of those? Well, I think we got obviously some value out of it, but that was the key question um, because as the guy that kind of sold this initiative with a best of breed rollout to a board, you know, they didn't just sign off on it and good luck with it. They wanted quarterly updates. And so, you know, it was constantly going back and saying, hey, you know, the first quarter was easy. We're in the, you know, evaluation phase. Second quarter was fairly easy. We've made some selections and we're rolling out. Third quarter was a little tougher. Okay, what are you seeing? Yeah. Uh, Is it working? How do you know it's working? And then the more, you know, relevant questions started to become, so how do we compare? What are you seeing from a trend perspective? You know, how, you know if, if we look at our level of attack traffic or if we look at our level of sophistication that you're trying to read out of these products, how does that compare and contrast with what's going out on for the rest of you know, the corporate world and what specifically is going on for our competitors? And quite honestly, I mean, those are impossible questions to answer given what I was able to extract out of these you know, tool sets. Yeah. And furthermore, yes, false positives were an issue um, and therefore it was hard to read the results. That then turned into an operational burden because now we had guys you know, just frantically trying to tune these applications to get the false positive rate down, and yet how, how do we know that we weren't exposing you know, open doors on the back end? Well, I mean, absolutely. You, you don't turn down false positives without turning exactly. up false negatives, right? And then you know, every three months, the month before the board meeting, we had kind of a crash course on how do we actually sift through all this data and try to come up with what are the relevant points that we need to highlight for the board that is very interested in security. And so that whole experience is really a lot of what shaped our thoughts around how we would go form a threat X. So, so I, 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 wanted, I don't want you to leave that topic quite yet because I'm sure there's you know, lots of folks listening who are especially interested in, you know, did you come up with any lessons from how do you take operational data from systems that are not perfect and turn that into a story you want to tell your board? Well, I think, I think almost everybody when they start out with these tool sets, you know, maybe not everyone, but certainly folks who it's their first pass through, you have a perception that you're going to get to a certain level of accuracy. And so, you, you know, we at least started pouring resources into these tool sets to try to get to a, a finer grain of accuracy. But the, the tools are inherently very difficult to get to that level of accuracy because, again, they're only looking at kind of a small piece of the information without seeing it, you know, in its, in its entirety. So we did a lot of things to go develop um, scripts mm-hmm. to be able to start to cull the information, kind of do some pre-correlation, do some standardization of the data so that we could actually then use our SIM solutions to kind of process the data more effectively. But again, these were complicated activities for us to accomplish. We were doing it in many cases with folks who were good, very good at scripting and very good at automation, but maybe weren't you know, enterprise class developers. And so we would start to build complexity into these, you know, adjunct solutions to try to, to process the data, which very quickly would turn into somewhat unmanageable, unwieldy solutions. The other problem I had was the guys that initially were very excited about doing this level of research. Um, it was fun for the first couple of months. 
it was fun building the scripts the first time. Maintaining those scripts long term wasn't a job that they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And it became even worse when those resources maybe leave the company, take a job somewhere else where they get a better job or a better pay grade or whatever. And I'm left with, quite frankly, a Frankenstein type of solution. Yeah. And so, you know, you bring the next guy in and the next guy goes, I don't know what that is. Right. I'm not sure what he was doing there. Or maybe even the rules that were that were written within the various firewall solutions or so, WAF, they don't really understand them, so they don't want to change them. And yet, you know, they don't really understand whether they're working or not working. And so, again, it just felt like a com compounding complexity issue in a space where it was very hard to recruit security guys in the first place, especially mm -hmm. ones that really understood you know, the market and they were in high demand. And so, you know, you, you wanted to provide them with a mar with an environment where they could be very successful, but you were working with some complexity yeah. just to try to tune in. So I, don't, I certainly don't have the answers on how to do it. I mean, we had some lessons learned certainly that, you know, we were able to maybe focus more on the 80 percentile and try to make sure that we were getting some standardization across the platforms that then allowed us to make the tuning easier within some solution. That's probably the biggest, you know, aha moment but it took us a while to get there for sure. Yeah. So let's go ahead and fast forward. You know, you, you were there 2014 timeframe. That's getting close to, yep. to, to Peru. So, uh, yeah. So, what, you know, they were acquired, the, yeah, they were acquired by Bain Capital, um, okay. along with, uh, you know, five other, uh, partners that were in that. I I stayed through the transition cause I, you know, had my hands on a lot of the, the plans for, uh, capital investments as well as the finances uh, that went along with those. But through that transition, it became very clear that you know it was gonna it was gonna be a six to twelve month turnaround uh, before they were really gonna get back after some of the more strategic initiatives. So I used that as an opportunity to uh, leave the company. Um, I'd done a couple of you know I would consider the second half of Corporate Express and BMC as big corporate roles. Yeah. Really missed the startup phase, but also really missed um, you know really saw an opportunity in the security space and felt like that experience, especially the last you know three years at BMC, seeing the state of the art in the current products that were out there, feeling like, hey, we could take a lot of what we learned around some of the you know uh, analytics and some of the best practices that we saw in the SIM solutions, but how do we start to pull that information closer to the actual you know blocking uh, layer, and how do we pull that back into the firewall layer? Yeah. And so that was really, you know, the foundation for ThreatX was saying, there's probably a better way to do it. And rather than focusing on single transactions and focusing on just applications and their abnormalities, how do we turn it back to an attacker-centric focus? So why, you know, we talked about a few things. You talked about firewalls, you talked about SIM, you talked about WAF. Why WAF? Why not go after SIM yeah. or firewall Great or something question. else? Great question. So. Uh, so part of the answer is, um, you know, as I was looking at startups in general, um, the one area that stood out the most, and especially having gone through a, an assessment phase of multiple best of breed uh, components, there was only one Magic Quadrant vendor in the WAF space, and that was Imperva. Mm -hmm. um, so it felt like a very underserved market, first mm -hmm. and foremost. Secondly, you know, we're seeing just with the transition to the cloud, and also with just the general exposure that all companies have in terms of applications being exposed on the internet, it's a super broad surface area without a lot of tools that are effectively you know, providing security across that space. And the problem was only getting bigger. Yeah. So you know, the awareness that a lot of these breaches and a lot of these attacks are actually coming through web applications, 
whether it's just the reconnaissance to learn more about the company or whether it's you know a, a full-on breach that was accessed uh, through a web application it was an area that just hadn't fully caught on yet there was an initial wave with imperva and they did very well in those early days but we were seeing nothing but expansion of adoption for mm -hmm. web application firewalls and so you know this technology and kind of the approach that we're taking it can be applied at any layer within the uh, security stack or yeah. the infrastructure stack but we were seeing massive growth in an area that was underserved and it's also quite frankly an area that a lot of security guys it may be the weakest area of their knowledge set they've come out of infrastructure or they've come out of networking yeah. you start talking about development and you start talking about every kind of development language you can think of add-ons, plugins, adapters, and just the rate and pace at which applications are being changed, typically. Mm -hmm. um, it just creates a lot of complexity and a lot of dynamic, uh, uh, dynamic you know, changes within that environment. That's why we looked at that and said, hey, you know, this is the perfect application uh, for us to start to bring some of the powers of you know, uh, user analytics or behavioral analytics and really combine that with maybe a shift change from focusing on just static signatures and rules and really starting to look at it from an attack perspective and focusing on the users and their interactions with applications. It just made the most sense to go after that space for both financial reasons as well as just you know opportunity as we move forward. Okay. So you, you said the word we a lot of times, but I don't know who the we is. So you yeah, quit great. your job at BMC and who's the we? So uh, my co-founder at ThreadX is uh, Andrew Yusekis. Okay. And Andrew was going back to the corporate express days, um, uh, kind of a deja vu. I inherited security at uh, corporate express and we felt like security was you know one of the strong suits of the organization. But having said that, I wanted a third party perspective. So I wanted a pen test. Okay. And I did some research and kind of talked to my peers and other folks around, and it, this young Lithuanian kid's name kept coming up, um, named Andrew Yusekis. So we brought him in from a uh, contract perspective. He did a great job of really exposing some, you know, very niche uh, type of uh, holes yeah. in our in our architecture, and he also did it in a way though where he was able to come and really help with the remediation and. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I learned through that you know, experience of working with him, both as he was poking ho holes in our uh, infrastructure, but also as he was helping us kind of remediate it, was he had the rare talent of really understanding the hacker mentality, but he could also pick up virtually any development uh, language, learn it overnight, and then figure out from a hmm. hacker perspective how he would want to... Uh, how to fix it. How to, well how to first attack it and then how to fix it. Yeah. And so, you know, I think all of us in this industry is certainly uh, folks that are in the management side of the equation. I mean, when you run across that kind of talent, you typically put them in your Rolodex and you stay in touch with them. And, sure. you know, you try to make sure that if you're ever in a position like that again, you know who to call. And so when I did move to BMC and inherited security and was asked by the board to go uh, kind of do an assessment, he was the first name that I called. And so brought him down to BMC Software with me as well to kind of go through this process. So through this, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about what was working on the various products that we were evaluating, what wasn't working, where did we see the opportunity for improvement. And so we had a lot of these conversations. And again, all of this really led to, you know, us founding uh, Corp or, uh, ThreadX hmm. and him being the co-founder uh, and partner of mine in this. So is it just the two of you? Just the two of us in the early days. Um, we started in Austin, Texas, mm -hmm. primarily because we were both in Texas. 
And so. And did BMC move you to Texas? Is that? Yeah, BMC moved me to Texas, and I brought Andrew down to Texas. Okay. Um, to uh, assist me uh, at BMC, he we put him in uh, Austin because that's where a lot of the similar resources were at. Yeah. And so to start a company, you know, a lot of it I just funded in the early days uh, just to make sure that it was going to work. Mm. Not that we didn't have ultimate confidence that it was going to be successful, but mitigating risk, we decided to start in Austin. Uh, we did hire about three developers uh, over the course oh. of the first year. Okay. Got the first product out uh, in five months, which we were, was really a prototype. You know, it was, I wouldn't even call it a beta project. What I would call it is how do you really go explain to investors yeah. what you're trying to build when they haven't seen too many of these type of solutions before. So we built the behavioral analytics engine. We took an attacker-centric approach where we really focused on the users and the attacks and then correlated all the information uh, for them through that process. But we used a lot of open source tools to basically as, as the sensors, if you will, for this okay. process. So what does it mean when you say an attacker-centric focus? Yeah, so attacker-centric to us is, you know, most of the firewall solutions or the IDS, IPS, they're really looking at a static, they're looking at a transaction, and they're trying to match a known uh, attack vector, something within that transaction that they can actually, they've seen it before, and they know that it's malicious, and that's how they make their decision. And then they may have some static rules that can be applied on top of that in terms of how to interpret and what to do next. But it's, it's really not enough information to, t to make an educated de uh, decision, and that's really what leads to the false positives that we see out of a lot of these tool sets and or the tuning that's required because you're really trying to say, hey, whitelist this or you know, when you see this, add this to it and add this to it, and you're building a lot of complexity around these tool sets. Attacker-centric for us is we really want to go back out and focus on, in this case, an IP um, or a user and we want to evaluate all of the interactions that they're having with that application, and we want to start to pick up any indicator of suspicious behavior, we're going to use that to calculate a risk score. And so by focusing on that attacker, you're correlating in real time anything that you see that's suspicious for that particular IP. And if I think about on the back end of way uh, we were at least using the log files coming out of a typical WAF, a Gen 1 WAF, a lot of what we were doing was saying, here are all of the security alerts, all of the blocks that came out of that WAF, but then manually, we would have to go through and start to correlate all those alerts back to an IP, and then we would have to do our own analysis to say, so what do we think they were trying to do here? Let's say they started here, okay, then the timestamp moves to here, then the timestamp moves to here, and boy, it looks like they were trying to do this, this, or this, or no, that looks like it's just a false positive. And so all of those cycles that we were spending with pretty high-end security analysts to review logs, try to piece it back together and understand what was going on, we said, you know, the right way to do this is actually focus on the IP and start keeping track of the risk for each of these IPs based on what you're seeing. And as they're progressing through their interaction with, uh, uh, with the application, if we start to see certain patterns or behavioral signatures in terms of how they attack, it's going to give us a much faster read on whether this is something that is high risk or whether low risk. But in order to do so, you have to think of it from a kill chain approach. So for us, we had to look at it and say, I've got to be able to classify that activity and determine, is that just reconnaissance? And if it's just reconnaissance, it's at a lower risk level, I can afford to watch this behavior longer. As they move you know, down the kill chain and they start getting into exploits, though, 
obviously that's going to ramp the score up and you have to be able to block much faster. So what it sounds to me like you know what we're calling the Gen 1 WAF, you, you talk about it's looking for signature-based malicious stuff, right? We, we know what a SQL injection looks like, so we block a SQL injection. We know yep. what you know this these 150 attacks look like, so we have signatures built for those. Yep. Um, if I if I hear what you're saying correctly, rather than doing a signature-based approach to specific malicious stuff, it seems like you've got to be doing a signature-based approach to specific activities that add up to a risk, right? You have to identify that this this small thing they do has some risk associated with it and then we add up those things. That's is that correct. true? That's correct. That's exactly what attack, for us, that is attacker-centric. Okay. It means we're focused on that particular IP and then we're cumulatively building a risk score yeah. based on watching their progression and the, you know, again, the amount of suspicious behavior that we're seeing as well as the level of risk, where are they at in the kill chain? That is really what determines uh, for us what the overall risk of an entity is. What, now one of the challenges with the Gen, Gen 1 stuff is that they can't keep up with the, the, the bad, the blacklist, right? The, you, yep. you can't keep up with the speed of it. Aren't you having to also create, keep track of that signatures or how do you? Yeah, so we, we, we use a combination and I, you know, I, I don't mean to say that we don't look at specific signatures, there are, kind of the, what I would loosely call the OWASP top 100 signatures. Okay. And again, that's not really a thing, but there are certain signatures that it just makes sense. You know, you're gonna collect 70% of the bad traffic if you're monitoring these particular signatures. Mm -hmm. But where the you know complexity typically comes in with these firewalls is a lot of times if you go beyond those signatures or the deeper you get, you start to match legitimate application traffic. Sure. So now you're stuck with the, do I need to whitelist that out or ignore right. that? or can I continue to watch it? And that's the big, one of the big differentiations for us with our solution is that, you know, we're not gonna whitelist that activity out just because it's something that your application does. We're gonna keep track of that, but it's gonna have a lower risk rating, but yeah. we're gonna see what else do we see. You're basically going away from a binary decision. We're going away a, from a binary yeah. decision to- A risk-based decision. It's okay. a risk-based and it's a contextual. You're looking sure. at it in full context. Yeah, that makes sense. That, that does make sense. Yeah. Um, so I want to shift a little bit away from how you do it in the technology and talk more about the business. All right. Yeah. So you 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 spent five months, you know, kind of self-funded, built out a an MVP or whatever we call this first iteration, yep. and then what? So we were using the MVP primarily uh, to for investor roadshows. Yeah. But in addition to that, we were also you know kind of shopping it around to certain organizations that had interest um, uh, or, or could give us some feedback on it, right? Okay. One of those companies was ViOS Communications. Yeah. And so Jason Carolyn and his team uh, were pretty well versed in uh, web application firewalls. We demoed it with those guys and said, here's kind of the direction we're going. Love to get some feedback from you. And actually they ended up going ahead and deploying the initial kind of MVP as you call yeah. it. Um, and then kind of worked with us as we continue to tune that product replace some of the open source kind of sensors that were feeding the analytics engine with more proprietary sensors that were much more both tuned for performance but also tuned for purpose. Yeah. Um, and so they were very instrumental along with a number of other, uh, I guess, local companies that we've had were uh, Denver Health, Global Healthcare Exchange, uh, Kroenke Sports and Entertainment. And we've got quite a list of local companies who were pretty instrumental, especially in those early days as we continue to develop the product, refine the product, and then ultimately start bringing it out as so, a full-blown. When did you guys move from Austin to Denver? So, uh, that's a good question, but I think it was uh, September of 2015. So, did you sell to ViOS before that? 
Yeah, we'd actually sold to them while we were in Austin. Okay. Um, and they and were your first cu- first paying customer. First paying customer. And how did you celebrate that? <laughs> As any startup does, you know, do you take your first dollar bill, which you didn't really get from them, and yeah. you put it in a in a frame, and you, you know, you pat everybody on the back and you move forward. But yeah. um, it, they were instrumental, you know, in helping us uh, secure funding. Because of my experience though up in, in Colorado, and this is really the shift from Austin to uh, mm-hmm. Colorado, a couple of different things. A lot of the angel investors that we used were folks that either had worked at Corporate Express in the early days and gone on to other telco or, uh, companies around town or other uh, major uh, companies. And we just had a much you know stronger network, um, yeah. both in terms of uh, accessing uh, angel funding, but also when you think about a startup, you know, every employee is so important and making sure that every employee is you know both bought into the vision bought into the mission but also can contribute at a very high level and so you know in austin we had a pretty good network but in colorado it's a very tight-knit community Mm. and you know because of the 12 years uh, spent at corporate express and then our angel network we just had such a great network to be able to reach out and say we're looking for an a player here here or here and we would get lots of resumes, you know, submitted uh, via that network, yeah. as well as you can always do the back checks. Right. There's always, you know, one, two or three people that I know, they could go and say, that guy's a rock star, that guy's, you know, you yeah. know, good, but maybe not what you're looking for for that particular solution. So it made sense for us to go ahead and move the company back. I love Colorado, no offense to Texas, right? And even Austin, it's a great city, love to visit. But in terms of where do I want to live, where do I want my family to be? You know, yeah. I love Colorado. I love the outdoors and I love just the culture here and the vibe, so. So you opened up your, your office, is it downtown, South Broadway or something like that? Yeah, we actually market in 17th. Market in 17th, um, okay. So that's where we had kind of the initial footprint, kind of yeah. a small, uh, it was Colorado incubators okay. uh, type of office. Uh, what happened is we were also recruiting, um, you know, for several key development roles. Our primary uh, development language is Rust. Okay. There's, there's not a lot of, not a lot of folks uh, yeah. that are Rust developers, but high performance very secure language, similar to Go, but we think it has a lot of other advantages. But because of that, we were finding talent primarily up in the Boulder area. Hmm. And so we started building a, a critical mass uh, of folks that were in the Boulder area. So we actually had, you know, for a, uh, about six months, a couple of different offices, a main office here in Denver, and then we had, uh, you know, kind of a development shop uh, up in yeah. Boulder. And then we got our funding and basically consolidated in the Louisville area. So, I mean, that t- from 2015 to you got your funding in 2017, right? Correct. Like 2017. What, what, what took you from being, hey, we got some angel funding and we, we just got an MVP to now we're ready to get a, a real A round and, and kind yeah. of move yeah. things along? Great question. Well, I mean, it's always, you know, this is my first startup as, mm-hmm. a, as a founder and as a, as a major contributor to it. So... You're learning a lot of stuff as you go along, but you know nothing speaks louder than customers, hmm. and nothing speaks louder than uh, traction. And so we were fortunate with ViWest being kind of that first customer, and then we were fortunate with some of the other customers that have come on board, both in Denver as well as you know outside of Denver. But you know as you go through the process of trying to raise funding, you know they want to they want to understand the vision, they want to see the technology, they want to understand those kind of things. But at the end of the day, they want to know customers right. are going to buy it and they want to know that customers are going to uh, like it. And I think one of the keys for us in actually securing the funding was, um, and this was the feedback we got from the VCs, was you know, we gave them the customer references and the customer references were able to articulate back the value prop that we were saying the product was doing. 
but also secondarily, we really didn't lose any customers. Mm-hmm. And our customers were not only buying, but they were starting to expand. Mm-hmm. And it kind of showed that, hey, it's, you know, it's not just a friends of Brett that are buying the product. Yeah. It's actually starting to be word of mouth spreading. And it's not just small buys. It's starting to be people are starting to standardize on the product. Yeah. And that's really what got the VCs um, excited. Our biggest challenge was, you know, we were looking at both the Sand Hill kind of Bay Area companies. They wanted to put 15 or 20 million in. Right. Right. That's and, how they get their You know, and then you chance. do, yeah, and then you do your valuation and you say, so I'll own 1% of the company when this is over. Yeah. So we were fortunate to, you know, find uh, both Access Ventures, which is a local uh, company here, as well as GrowTech out of Virginia, but with yeah. a pretty healthy uh, local presence who were, you know, very, uh, very accommodating to say, we can come in at a, at a smaller amount reasonable valuation on the company and allow you guys to retain you know a little bit more of the ownership but give you enough capital to really allow you to go aggressively after the sales uh, and the marketing resources and you know really start to take something that we feel like you've done a good job of vetting a product it's not perfect but it certainly is uh you know farther along than a lot of the products uh, and companies that they were investing in you really need to put the business and the operations uh, yeah. side around this thing so so you, so the a round you raised was really to, to help Sales and marketing, is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I mean, we're still expanding. Certainly, development is expanding. Um, we offer a managed service, so Security Operations Center is part of the offering uh, for yeah. our products, and so we're expanding that group as well. But the biggest efforts are really going into you know marketing, brand awareness, and then the demand gen uh, that's required, and then getting top-notch sales or, you know, folks. Yeah. People that, you know, in, in our case, we've been fortunate. We picked up, you know, guys that were at the beginning with Juniper, at the beginning with Palo Alto, uh, Shape Security, you kind of go down the list. So fortunately, the product is very appealing. It actually works, which is great, and we have customers referencing it. So recruiting the sales guys is you know, always a challenge, but you know, was, it was easier just because we had a real live product that customers were very happy yeah. with, but we wanted to go after some really solid guys as well. Yeah, um, so I, I do want to get a little bit into the, the managed service that you guys have. Uh, you know, this is not typical, I think, of, of a WAF, where generally a WAF is a piece of technology that the security operations team at the company is going to run. Yep. And you guys have some services wrapped around that. How's that work? What do they do? What's yeah. the value add there? Well, and, you know, even beyond that, I mean, one of our first tenants was a lot of the original kind of Gen 1 were appliances. Mm-hmm. Um, they were run on premise and managed, you know, locally by the customer. So similar to any infrastructure project, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of, both training as well as management uh, burden that goes along with that. So we knew in, with the where the cloud was going, we wanted something that could be deployed in virtually any environment. We wanted something that could be deployed on premise if required, but also could be you know something as simple as a reverse proxy style of implementation where it could be routed through our network, cleansed, and then clean traffic sent back to the customers. Where the managed service started to factor in is part of our product highlights these are all of the attackers um, and really prioritize based on their overall risk. And so that's a key kind of apples to apples versus any other WAF. Here's how we detect and block uh, certain folks, but also here's a list of other folks that we are continuing to watch and see if their risk raises to a level that we need to block. But in doing so, we've done a lot of the correlation and the analysis to make that risk uh, calculation. So we've automated maybe what um, you know a security analyst would have had to do, researching the logs and making a decision. But by doing that, we were able to now turn that into a view that shows you, well, what were they targeting? And what techniques are they using to target your applications? 
what's changed about your application? And we built basically what we call a top targets uh, component of our dashboard, which shows you the applications, it shows you all the attacks that are occurring against it, it shows you the level of progress that they're making from a kill chain perspective, and it highlights you know, individually within that application what they were targeting. And we thought that was great, man, as a SaaS product, I can turn that over to you know, any customer. But when you start thinking about the environments that all of our customers operated in, they had multiple legacy applications. They had mergers or acquisitions where they had pulled in tools and, and, and applications that they had virtually no knowledge of. And so very quickly what happened was we know it's being targeted, but how do we know, you know how to actually uh, fix what's mm. happening here? Or we see that there's been a spike, but we're not quite sure where that spike came from. And so because you know, they were asking us a lot of these questions, it very quickly turned into, is this like a service you guys could offer? Yeah. Where you, know, you see a lot more of the traffic across your entire customer base. You're very familiar with the way they attack WordPress applications versus the way they attack Drupal applications versus custom Java versus you know, virtually any other uh, technology. And because you're seeing not just the attack traffic hitting my applications, you're seeing it across a broad set of customers and a broad set of applications, you've got a value add that you know we typically could never have on our own. And because you're seeing that traffic, you're also working with other customers on how to remediate it, and you can share that information with us as well. So what's happened is our managed service and our security operations center, you can think of it as you know, really some guys that are pen test quality uh, security engineers. They love nothing more than to see a new kind of net, net new either zero day attack or just a new way of attacking our customers' applications, dig into it, digest it, and then work with our customers to really help them understand why are they being attacked and how are they being attacked. And quite honestly, a lot of what we see is it's just, you know, a new code release. Mm. And, you know, the developers, well-intentioned, may have left indexing turned on, or maybe they took a shortcut or maybe they just haven't patched you know, right. a certain component. They're, you know, Typically, it's not nefarious activity, but it's stuff that, because we're seeing it across a pretty wide uh, customer base, it's something that we're able to dive in pretty quickly. We're in constant communication with our customers and, and really adding that type of information. That's great. Uh, last question I have for you um, around ThreadX is, what's next for you guys? You know, you, you raised, uh, I know we reported on it. How much was it in the A-Round? So we raised 8.3 in December. 8.3. And so what's your next, what are you looking for in the future? Yeah, so I mean, we're, we're fortunately, sales are going really well, and we're seeing some very large logos uh, that we're able to pick up. The real intent was to take the $8.3 million, that's about 18 months worth of runway. Okay. And the goal was to really staff up the marketing function, staff up the sales function, obviously continue to improve the product um, with the customer feedback that we're getting, but, but drive hard. I mean, we're one of the best kept secrets you know, in security right mm. now. You know, we feel like we've got a great product, but not a lot of brand awareness out there and yeah. not enough logos. So we're using this money to you know, really try to drive a lot of adoption uh, through sales and marketing and uh, allow us then to self-fund a lot of the product expansion uh, that we're doing. And we'll be going after Series B roughly in Q2 of next year. Awesome. This is when we'd like to uh, secure it. Uh, you looking to hire? If yeah, so, we've got kind of uh, quite a stuff uh, available that's on our website. Quite a few roles are not even. It's kind of hard for us to keep sure. up with. But certainly, you know, in the security operations uh, side of the world, as I mentioned before, that's a pen test type of quality. And so a lot of what is unique is we get to see so many attacks across so many customers. 
what we're looking for is kind of that red team mentality of how do we go really define and identify those attacks that are truly unique. Yeah. So we're hiring a lot of folks in our security operations center. We do a 24 by 7 already, and so we're just staffing that organization up. Always looking for good developers. Um, the platform is obviously a web application firewall, but we do edge caching. We have a DDoS component uh, to it as well. So we're basically growing the, the uh, development organization as well yeah. uh, very quickly. So, Awesome. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think I've, we've heard a lot about Tredex today and, and about your background. Anything that I should have asked you that I haven't asked? You know, I, I don't think so. I mean, we've covered, there's probably, you know, I could sit and talk for another two hours probably. Right. Um, but I think, you know, hopefully that gives folks at least a, not just an understanding about ThreadX, but even just a general, you know, understanding about a different way to look at the problem maybe yeah. for firewalls and kind of our approach and where we think uh, is the right way to go. But certainly, you know, we love to uh, hear feedback and I'd love encourage anyone who is listening. I'd love to hear, you know, feedback on, are we doing things or approaching it the right way or are there other things that we could be focused on? So, How should they give you that feedback? Well, you can reach me on the, the website, certainly. Uh, my email is going to be brett, B-R-E-T, one T, dot settle, S-E-T-T-L-E, at threadx.com. Awesome. Uh, so maybe we can get together in a year or so after you've you know figured out the next yeah. steps there at, at ThreadX and we can see what's changed. and Yeah, looking forward to it. it. That'd be awesome. Awesome. That'd well, thanks awesome. a lot for your time, Brett. Thank you. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.